Amen, amen to that. The invitation for us all is to come one, come all. For the weary, for the celebrant, the table is open and ready in God's kingdom. And good morning, Christ Church. My name is Pastor Tara Beth. I'm one of the many pastors here, and I'm so excited and eager and expectant to open the word with you today. We're gonna look at a few passages in scripture in a, in a larger section of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna take a look at 12 verses um, known as the Beatitudes. And I'm so excited to dig in with you. And so as we prepare our hearts and our minds, let us pray. God, we thank you for your invitation to us that as you come to us, you call us to come, to open our hearts and minds so God, we surrender to you. As your spirit is moving and working in this place, we ask that you would drench our hearts, that we would be soft and malleable to you, that you would drench our minds with your spirit, that we would understand your word, that you would drench our ears with your spirit, that we would hear your word and fill this place, drench this place, that we might be formed into your likeness and goodness and live lives that bring you glory and honor. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Parenting is a funny thing at times. That is, we, we teach our kids to be independent, and when they do, we almost kind of feel sad about it. I remember my boys, the first time they learned how to walk, we were overjoyed, we celebrated, we had a little party in the house, and then my mind just started to run wild, wondering when would be the last time that I would place them on my hip with their chubby hands wrapped around my neck? When would be that last time that they would no longer need mommy to carry them from one room to the next? Or early on, one of my greatest joys was preparing breakfast for my boys, and now Caleb, 11 years old, makes the meanest omelet and guacamole than anyone around. It was moments when, when I prepare to make him breakfast, he says, no, mommy, I want to do it. Just that sting. And maybe some of you who are going through this fall, getting ready to send your kids off to college that first time, we have prepared them for this moment, we've done all the right things, but then when they go, there's a bit of sadness. We want the independence, we want the strength. In fact, that's part of the beauty of living in America. We, we want to live the American dream to be healthy, independent, and flourishing people. And I sometimes wonder if a pastor, if we tend to take that idea to the extreme. This idea of bootstrap theology, for example, is, is embedded even in the American churches that if you can dream it, if you can envision it, if you can pull yourself up, you can do it. We are enamored by these stories of those who overcome, myself included. A couple years ago, a book by the name of Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis couldn't even stay on the bookshelves. It was selling so fast because young women were enamored by the story 
of a girl who grew up in poverty and had a dream and a vision for a bigger and greater life. And she believed it, so she did. We love these stories of those who who work hard, who overcome, I can do it, I can believe it, I can see it, I can envision it, I can make it happen. And then we think, and if we make it happen, then we'll be blessed. If we work hard enough, then we'll be blessed. If we can become independent and strong enough and work our hard enough and climb that ladder, then we'll be blessed with the house of our dreams, then we'll be blessed with the perfect nest egg, then we'll be blessed with the perfect family, then we'll be blessed because we will have climbed that corporate ladder and we have a really healthy 401k, which of course, not all of this is bad. This is all really good, wonderful things. But is that really blessing? In fact, when we lean into Jesus' vision in scripture for the kingdom life, for the Christian life, this notion of self-help, independent success, it's just not there. This, this idea of a personal success equals blessing is just not there. And we, we live in a culture, in society, we see it all over social media, right? You're standing there in the vacation of your dreams and hashtag blessed. Or you've got the house of your dreams and you say, I am so blessed. In other words, we use this word blessing to equal what we have. I have a home, I'm blessed. And on top of that, We think that if we can be independent enough, if we can work hard enough, then we can then achieve those things that we want to have, so then we are blessed. But in this passage of scripture known as the Beatitudes, Jesus takes this understanding of of our Western understanding of blessing, and he flips it on its head. Flips it upside down. And what he does is is he calls the independent, the personally driven to abandon his or her radical independence and learn a new kingdom way of living. Now hang with me. Let's take a look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, verses three through 12. Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus stands up on the mount and teaches this incredible kingdom vision 
of what the Christian life is to look like. And this sermon lasts several chapters. It begins in chapter five and goes on to chapter six and then to chapter seven. And he begins in such a peculiar way. It's almost as though he's speaking to this crowd. You can imagine there, you can imagine him setting a table of sorts. Setting, setting a table and he's pulling up a chair one at a time as he declares who's in the kingdom and who's not. He pulls up the first table, chair here. He says, here at this table are those who mourn. And he pulls up another t- chair and he says, and here at this table are the peacemakers. And he pulls up another chair and, he, and here at this table are the merciful and, and here at this table are those who are persecuted and, and here at this table are, are those who are insulted. He says, these, these are the kind of people that you can expect to find in my kingdom and the kingdom of God. And this was so opposite and radical for the day. For the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they would have read this like this. Cursed are those who mourn. Cursed are the poor in spirit. Cursed are the persecuted. Cursed are are those who are hungry. And not only would they have said cursed, but they would have said you are mourning, you are in this situation, you are insulted, you are sick, you are experiencing this because of your sin, you brought this upon you, it is your fault. And Jesus flips it on its head. He says, not in my kingdom. Those who sit at my table, they find blessings in the mourning, they find blessings in the persecution, They they find blessings and the cursing when they are cursed and insulted and on and on and on. And again, this idea of blessing, such a funny and peculiar word, so different than how we use it today. For us, blessing is totally connected to what we have. But in here, Jesus calls the blessed the have-nots. These are the people that don't have enough, that are lacking resources, that are running on empty, that are mourning, that that are at the end of their rope. These are the people where their whole world or their whole lives have been ripped out from underneath them. And yet, Jesus says, they're blessed. I think for us to better understand exactly what it is that Jesus is doing here, I want us to understand what, what he's saying without, throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount. And so after the Beatitudes, Jesus go on, he, he goes on to set this vision of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. He, he begins by saying, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and then he gets really serious. And he goes through a section of scripture known as the Antitheses. My professor at seminary used to say these antitheses are piercing, they're uncomfortable, they're difficult. If if you read through them, you think, do you really mean that, Jesus? That's hard. And he goes through this really radically hard teaching. He tells us to pray for those who persecute you, to love your enemy, to turn the other cheek. I don't know about you, but that's really hard. And he tells us to do these things. And at the very end of his sermon, it's, he kind of does this altar call. 
Or he, he draws the line in the sand, or if you remember the Billy Graham era, you would remember Billy Graham doing a sermon. He says, okay, anybody who wants to accept this, come forward. That's what Jesus does here at the end. In chapter seven, he, he gives us these images of those who decide to follow the way of Jesus. He talks about a gate, for example. One is narrow and the other is wide. The narrow one is harder. It takes obedience. It takes listening to the words of Jesus. It takes following the way of Jesus, but it leads to life. And the other gate, it's wide. It's gonna be very wide. It's gonna be easy to get through. You can probably do it on your own. You can probably pull yourself up and make your way through. Jesus talks about another one. He says, there's two people that built a house. One that built the house on a sand, the rains came, the winds came, and it crumbled. He says, those are the ones who heard the word, but chose not to listen. He says, but then there's another one who, who builds a house on a solid foundation. The rains come, the winds go, and that house is able to stand the storm. And those are the ones that hear the words of Jesus and does what he says. Let me put it another way. As Jesus draws his line in the sand and says, okay, you've heard this teaching, who's in or who's out? This is the invitation from him. Follow me no matter what. Follow me through the storms of life. Follow me when, when, when the going gets tough. Follow me when the rubber meets the road. Follow me when you're, when you're insulted. Follow me when you are persecuted. Follow me when you are grieving. Follow me when it feels like the whole world is ripped out from underneath you. Follow me even when there are false prophets out there trying to lead you astray. Follow me. Follow me through injustice, follow me through trials, follow me through tribulations, follow me through the storms, the deserts, and the pain. Jesus calls us to follow him no matter what. When the rain comes, when the storms go, when life goes awry, when you are hungry, when you have nothing but the clothes on your back, Jesus says, what I want from you is to be faithful no matter what. And then he says, and theirs is the kingdom. They are blessed. You see, that blessing is not about what we have or what we've accumulated. That blessing instead is a posture. Imagine a child clinging to his mother or father, arms wrapped around with a recognition and a posture that I could not do this without you, and there's a sense of contentment, there's a sense of completeness, there's a sense that yes, this is where I'm supposed to be because God is in me and God is with me, God is going before me and God is beside me. And so this very first beatitude, if we just tease it out for a second to give us a little bit more depth of what Jesus is saying here, Jesus begins his first beatitude with blessed, are the poor in spirit. 
Now, there's a lot of debate about this word poor in spirit. I've heard pastors talk about, oh, it's just a spiritual poverty. I've, other, I've heard others say, oh, no, it's, it's, it's an actual um, economic poverty. But when I dig through commentaries, scholars agree that it's both. It is those who are economically destitute and those who are spiritually destitute. In fact, Jesus is speaking to a very particular class. As he, has, as he is giving his sermon, he's looking out in the crowd. And out in the crowd, yes, you have Pharisees, Sadducees, and he also, it's, it's as though he's seeing those out there. They're the poorest of poor in society. And what scholars call the Anawim class. This is a Jewish class that is the poorest of poor, the very bottom of society. These again are the have-nots. Jesus is speaking to the people who have no money, no home, nothing but the clothes on their own back. Today it might be where healthcare is difficult to, to navigate, no family support. This could be the refugee, the immigrant, or the orphan, or the grieving. Those who are needy and they know they are needy. They are desperate. And then there's also the spiritual poverty. These are those who recognize that in their poverty, they could not make it without God. The spiritual poor are also the have-nots. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough creativity. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough have understanding. These are those who confess it and they know it. They too are desperate. They too are clinging to their heavenly father in utter desperation, seeking God's strength, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's guidance, seeking God's leading and creativity and understanding and presence. These are those that are also utterly dependent on God because they recognize they could not, should not, will not be able to move forward in this Christian life without the empowering presence of the living God and they look to the spirit of the living God to empower them and embolden them, to impel them and to propel them in this very hard but beautiful vision of the Christian life. You see, economically destitute, relentlessly desperate for God. And Jesus says, and you will be blessed. In other words, the blessing doesn't come when you finally get what you're looking for. But the blessing comes in the presence of God, knowing that God is our only hope, knowing that God is our daily bread, knowing that deliverance and rescue and strength can only come from God. Several weeks ago, when I stood before you, I shared with you about my journey for moving to Southern California to here to care for my folks. And we're in the thrust of it. Right now my dad is listening to me preach from his hospice bed with just a couple of days to go. And it's been the hardest, hardest five weeks of my entire life. So much loss and so much pain. But I stand before you not to share that for sympathy. Empathy, yes. But I share that to tell you and testify before you. I'm blessed. 
Throughout this whole journey, we've looked at God. God, we can't do this without you. God, I don't have enough wisdom. God, I don't know how I'm gonna navigate this with children, with ministry, with, with a home, with a husband. And I, God, I, how are we going to do this? And yet every single day, God shows up. Every single day, God is there. Every single day, God gives strength. Every single day, God gives creativity. And the blessing comes not in the external circumstances, because let me tell you, they stink. Well, the blessing comes in the presence of God. And Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we have been clinging to that promise. Because this idea for the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven is both future and present, you see. It's future in that someday, I will look forward to a promise that there will be a world of no more cancer. Someday there will be a world of no more disease. Someday there will be a world of no more COVID. Someday there'll be a world of no more pain and loss and poverty and injustice. And we look forward to that and that's the promise that we cling to. But also, the reign of the kingdom is here, now. We experience the blessing of the kingdom now. We live in the peace and the comfort and the provision and the goodness of the kingdom today. And Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but I don't know, Pastor Terba. Kind of like doing it myself. I am. I'm a strong person, you know, and I like to ask for help. Don't call me needy. Don't call me weak. Strength is my middle name. You know, it's, this is a hard thing for upwardly mobile, well-educated, successful people. This is why Jesus said the gate is narrow. It's hard for us to confess a condition that we all have. Poor in spirit doesn't come easy to us. We don't want to admit it. The thought of dependence makes us shudder. Even we look at other people like that. Sometimes we look at someone we're like, oh, they're needy. Stay away. The thought of being needy or weak makes us shudder. And then there are others of you in here that know exactly what I'm talking about. The rains have come, the flood rivers have risen, and you have found yourself on your face crying out for mercy, and there you find the blessings of God. See, the invitation this morning isn't to try to become a virtue of getting rid of, of everything. But instead the invitation is to have a posture of God, of the have not. God, I don't have enough strength. God, I'm broken. God, I can't do this. God, I can't fix this. See, because when it comes to this vision of the Christian life, when you really get into it, Oh, it's awesome. When you open up this scripture and you get this vision, it's awesome. And guess what? Here's a secret. It's hard. 
And so when it comes to living out this vision of the Christian life, you can't build it, you can't fix it, you can't create it, you can't do it alone, but instead it's coming before, it's beginning with this posture, God, I don't have enough strength, God, I don't have enough creativity, God, I don't have enough power, God, I don't have enough wisdom, God, I'm just, I just, I need you, I'm desperate for you, I'm desperate for your strength, desperate for your wisdom, desperate for your leading, desperate for your creativity, your power, your presence, and your understanding, because that is exactly where Jesus was wants us, is completely open and malleable and utterly desperate, like a child clinging to a parent for the next meal. A few years ago, our youngest son, Noah, probably about three years old, we were cleaning up the family room. And there in the family room, we had a bunch of kettlebells set up, and I, I, I like a really clean family room, and My husband often makes fun of me that if there's something in there that doesn't belong, I'm like, just like an antibody, like pushing out the viruses. Uh, And the kettlebells were in there. I was like, Jeff, like kettlebells do not belong in the family room. Can we get them out? Like, let's get these kettlebells out. And my three-year-old Noah uh, came running in and said, I want to get them. Let me me get it. I'm like, Noah, it's 70 pounds. There's no possible way you're going to be able to lift this thing. And Jeff said, let him try. So Noah walks in all proud and mighty, ready to show off his skills, and he bends over, and he takes that 70-pound kettlebell, and <laughs> veins were popping out of his neck, and his face was turning blue, and it looked like his little head was just about to pop off, and boy, he tried and tried and tried and tried and tried until finally, out of complete frustration and desperation, he yelled out, I can't do it! I can't. Do it, Daddy. I need you to do it. See, being poor in spirit is something that we don't aspire to. We're already there. Being poor in spirit is a condition to confess. A condition to confess. It isn't something we try to do or aspire to, but it's a condition to confess. We don't have enough power, strength. We are have-nots, and we need God. And so this morning is Communion Sunday, and we sang a song just moments ago that all now are welcome to come to this table We are invited to the table of the Beatitudes. Coming to this table this morning will be those who are mourning. Coming to this table this morning will be be those who are meek or poor in spirit or those who are hungry. Wherever you find yourself at the table of the Beatitudes, the invitation is to come. Recognizing our poverty, recognizing our brokenness, Recognizing that God alone is our daily bread. And we cannot do this without him.